Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Well, good morning, good morning, good morning, and welcome to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. Great to have you with us. Big show coming up today. We have the Hall of Famer Marty Brenneman in a matter of moments to talk about Aaron Judge and He's one away from tying the single-season American League record home runs. Uh, Roger Maris had 61, Judge Club's number 60 last night. We'll talk about that in a minute. And every Wednesday, we call it the big interview, where we sit down for an extended period of time and visit with a big name in the world of sports. And in college football, there are very few names bigger than Barry Alvarez. Won three Rose Bowls. At the University of Wisconsin, when he took over that job, everybody and his brother told him, don't take it. He was defensive coordinator at Notre Dame. They had just won a national championship under Lou Holtz. He took it, turned it into a powerhouse program, one of the best in the country. He followed that being the athletic director for a number of years, and now he's a right-hand man in the Big Ten Conference with Kevin Warren, the commissioner. So we'll talk about his career, but also talk about the NIL The Big Ten expansion with USC and UCLA and where all this is headed along with the college football playoff expansion just approved a couple of weeks ago. But first things first, he's a busy man. He's got a lot going on. And that would be none other than the Hall of Famer Marty Brenneman. Uh, We were talking before we went off the air, Dad. Good morning, by the way. And um, Good morning to you, Tom. And it was noted by uh, Brandon Seho and Casey McAllister are at times exceptional producers, at other times not so much, that you look very, very dapper today in that shirt. They were comparing your shirt to my shirt, and I told them I look very handsome and very sharp today. I'm not sure about what that thing is you have on. Is that green? What what, what is that color? Yeah, it's a green and navy blue, and uh, quite honestly, this shirt might cost more money than your entire wardrobe today. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. We can't afford the shirts that Marty has, but they look great. So there you go. I rest my case. Well, I- I'm not so sure. I think you may have overspent <laughs> on that shirt. Hey, um, Aaron Judge, he hits number 60 last night. Uh, I know there are a lot of people, and and I don't want to speak for you. I'll let you speak for you, uh, that feel like Roger Maris' 61 home runs is the real single-season home run record, not the one uh, owned by Barry Bonds. Um, This guy is doing it so much under the radar, Dad, and maybe not in New York City, but nationally. Do you feel the same way about that, that there aren't a lot of people talking about what he's doing right now? I do. Um, and for me, now on the outside looking in, my feeling is that the reason it's like that is because of the fact that home runs have become a ho-hum thing in baseball. Uh, we can turn the clock back. I can certainly remember when Roger Maris hit his 61st home run off Tracy Stallard uh, in 1960. I was in a fraternity house in college and and saw him hit the home run. Neither one of us can go back to when Babe Ruth set the record, but Babe Ruth was a man who revolutionized, so to speak, the long ball in in baseball. Uh, When he hit 60 home runs in one season and that standard stood up until Maris did his. Today, 
home runs are a dime a dozen. It's all about home runs, strikeouts, and walks. So I think from a national perspective <clears throat> and for baseball fans around the world, it's great for Aaron Judge. He seems to be a stand-up, quality young man. <clears throat> but I, I just feel like people feel like it's, you know, this is another year in which some guy's done something record-breaking as far as home runs are concerned. And I think that's the main reason why the only place it is really a big deal seemingly is in New York City. You know, it's an interesting debate, and, and I've heard it um, really in different venues and so forth, about the American League most valuable player. Now, Judge is trying to become a Triple Crown winner. <laughs> a very legitimate chance to win a Triple Crown. Um, and that normally would be automatic uh, you're going to be the most valuable player in your league. Having said that, you get to Shohei Otani and what he has done as a pitcher and a position player. Who do you think should yep. win that award? I think it's a slam dunk for Aaron Judge. Um, and I'm, that, that in no way does it minimize uh, the accomplishments of Otani. I think he's the greatest athlete maybe in the history of baseball, quite honestly given the fact that he's a, a top-notch pitcher and he's a he's a, a great offensive player. But I, it, while home runs may seem like a ho-hum thing now uh, because of the nature of the beast, so to speak, winning a triple crown is a big deal. Uh, he's got the home run title locked up. He's got pretty much the RBI title locked up. The only question, as you stated a moment ago, is whether or not he can win the batting title. So for me... Uh, if I were voting, there was no question in my mind that Aaron Judge is the MVP of the American League. And I, it's a, as far as I'm concerned, it's a slam dunk. Well, it's going to be really interesting to see that whole thing, because as you pointed out, and accurately so, and I, I spent, you know, almost 14 years of my career living out west, not on the West Coast, but in Arizona. And it is a yes. very real, and people out there don't want to hear it, but it is a very real bias towards people or players in any sport that are playing basically from the central time zone eastward than it is from the central time zone westward in terms of getting recognition, whether it's a player or as a team. Well, I think it's the same thing. And in, 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 uh, I can remember, you know, uh, the great run that the UCLA Bruins had back in, in the 60s. And this is maybe a bad comparison because you didn't have social media, you didn't have uh, the internet and so forth. But um, even then, if the, the little basketball that you got, it, you had to stay up until 11 o'clock or whatever the late night might be back east to watch a game. And, and, and that's carried on up until the time we live in right now. Uh, because of the time difference of people back east, uh, more often than not are going to have to read uh, the next morning about what so-and-so did in, in, in Major League Baseball or college basketball or whatever the case might be. So I, I think that's a, that's a handicap to a player, especially uh, whether you agree with this or not. As far as Otani is concerned, he's playing with a bad ball club. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think a lot of people feel that that certainly plays into your decision as to who's going to be the most valuable player. Um, and that's why I've maintained for years now, you ought to have an MVP in both leagues. You also ought to have a player of the year in both leagues. Um, that way, you know, you can have a guy like an Ernie Banks way back years ago who was spectacular with a very poor Chicago Cubs team. He would have been the player of the year. 
uh, had little chance of being an MVP on any kind of consistent basis. So I think there are a lot of factors that come into play when you talk about a situation like this. And I don't know that there's a firm uh, and, and, and deliberate answer, yes or no, in terms of is he a candidate, uh, is he going to win it or won't he want it to uh, give way to Aaron Judge? All right, let me ask you this. The Reds lost their 90th game of the year last night. They have, I believe it's 14 games left. Uh, they have Correct. one more with Boston uh, tonight and then a four-game series against a Milwaukee team that is playing for their playoff lives in that wild card hunt uh, coming in for the first of four on Thursday night. Does it matter if the Reds lose 100 or not? I mean, it, does that number really at the end of the day mean anything? You know, I, that's a that's a very good question, Tom. I I've often maintained it's harder to lose a hundred than it is to win a hundred, um, and I still feel that way. I, I think it means something in the sense that if they do it, uh, they'll do something that only one club in the history of the Reds has ever done, and that's lose a hundred games in one season. Maybe that makes a difference at this late stage of the season when guys are playing the string out. Uh, you know, you got less than two weeks to go in the season or two, three weeks, whatever the case might be. Um, probably not. Uh, other than not wanting to be able to have people come up to you and say, well, you were you were a member of that Reds team that lost 100 games in 2022. Um, I don't know. That That's a tough. I, I think the answer to that question would depend upon who you talk to. All right, well, uh, the uh, peanut gallery here was talking about you at length uh, earlier this morning, Dad, uh, and Casey McAllister and Brandon Seho. That's what I'm curious about, really. I tuned them out as soon as they started in. When, when Brandon made the comment about how you influence him now on where he gets his heating and uh, air conditioning <laughs> and my And my, and my uh, Laura's lean. Well, you're obviously you go, not eating Laura's lean. Hey, I, I t the George Vogel and I, even jerky, we've said that probably, Marty, like 10,000 times over the last five years to each other. There you go. See? It works. That's And that's healthy, boy. That It doesn't get any healthier in Laura's lean beef, I can tell you that. <laughs> Whether it be 96% fat-free, 92% <laughs> fat-free, over 12,000 stores in the United States carry it, and, of course, throughout the entire Kroger chain. Glad we got the plug-in. Well, I'm not, not because we're that, not getting any money from Laura's Lean. The only person getting money from Laura's Lean in this whole conversation is him, not this program. Well, Amanda and I are going to be down at the Wellness Festival that Kroger heads up <laughs> outside the two ballparks this weekend, and we are going to prepare a dish of meatballs for the edification of those people who show up to see it. It'll be masses of people, I'm sure, and we yeah. look forward to it. All right. Well, I'm doing an interview with the Eli Young Band this weekend down there, so maybe I'll come down and get a plate. Well, please do. I would welcome your appearance. Thank you so do much. Do either one of you uh, yeah, have I, anything else? I did have Mr. a question. I mean, you have a legitimate question somewhere in here? Yeah, well, we were talking about it yesterday, Marty. Since I stopped covering them, I haven't really watched at all, plus they're losing every night almost. When's the last time you watched a full Reds game? I don't. I can't tell you that. Um, probably when I was down there a few weeks ago to honor the late great Paul Kramer, who headed up the Kid Glove program, and mm -hmm. and Amanda and I were at the ballpark that night and and watched the entire game. I watch them a lot uh, when I'm home 
I certainly don't let it dictate my social calendar. If I'm going to have an opportunity to go out and have dinner with friends or something like that, I'm not going to say I got to stay home and watch or listen to the ball game. Uh, and I'd say probably that that might be the the uh, the only time all year I've, I've uh, seen a, an entire game. Casey, anything? You know, um, <clears throat> if I had something to ask you, Marty, uh, it would probably be because I'm not the Casey, biggest. Casey, let me interrupt you. Let me interrupt you a minute. <laughs> yeah, let me interrupt up? you one minute, and let me make a point that if you had to grade the two people most important to the. Uh, success of this program, you would be number one, and Tom Brenneman would be number two. Now, go ahead. <laughs> Where does Brandon well, fall in? On I'm that? not even Brandon in just the at third. Well, Brandon, uh, he, he's, he's coming hard. He's coming really hard. So <laughs> that would put you uh, – it'll be maybe two more days, and you'll be number three. I'm, I'm good with that. Believe me, I've been number three or lower for about the last two and a half years, so I'm okay. Casey, please, carry on. Yeah, so uh, – <laughs> Thank you, by the yeah. way, Marty. I appreciate the, yeah, the you're very welcome. flattering. Um, my question to you is, I, I'm not much into baseball. I really want to be into baseball. Is there a team or is there something I should be looking out for that can get me hooked onto baseball right now? Because obviously the, obviously the Reds are struggling right now. And I really wanted to follow the Reds, but I just I, I can't. I can't. I know I know their history too much. I'm a Bengals fan. I can't do that to myself. I can't continue right. being a fan of a team that just struggles and struggles and struggles. So, in your expert opinion, what's a team that I should be maybe looking at to watch? That's really fun to watch, or is, is there anything like that out there? A player maybe that I could really enjoy watching? Well, I, I think the, the fun aspect of it. KC has to do with how successful a team is on the field. Um, you know, I don't think people are interested in watching a team uh, to speak of on a regular basis that's, that's had the kind of year, quite honestly, that the Reds have had. I think in a couple of years, this is really going to be a fun team to watch. If some of these kids that uh, Nick Crawl has traded for uh, when he unloaded the talent earlier this year, uh, their abilities come to fruition and they become very productive big league ball players. Uh, but I think, you know, you, if you want to be a front runner, uh, you have to love watching a team like the Dodgers play or the Yankees play or the Atlanta Braves play. Uh, and there are some other ones. I'm sure the team that Dusty has down in, in Houston, who I'm rooting like the Dickens to win a world championship uh, if for no other reason than for him, because I'm a big fan of Dusty Baker. Uh, but you know you get you pick and choose, and but again, it's all awful, awfully easy to watch a team that's winning as opposed to watching a team that's not. All right, that's a good answer. Um, you came over the other day and watched the Bengals game at our house with your grandson and me. Will you yes. be dialed in on the Bengalis this coming Sunday, or are you throwing in the towel early after the zero and two start? Oh no, I'm not doing that. No, you're not I doing what? Watching the game or throwing I'm, in the towel? I, no, I, I will. One, I'll watch the game. And two, I'm not throwing in the towel like some of these people who want to jump off the bridge downtown. Um, I'm, I'm still now if they go, if they get beat Sunday. Check with me next week. That may be a different deal, um, but I'm going to be watching them. I'm also going to be paying a lot of attention to what happens in Chapel Hill. When yes. Carolina entertains the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame, and I hope that Carolina can kick their ass. 
Well, that's your alma mater. Uh, you know, uh, they're a high-scoring team, North Carolina. Notre Dame has a very hard time scoring. Would you ever have believed in your lifetime, and, and I'm serious about this, would you ever have believed in your lifetime that North Carolina would play Notre Dame and that North Carolina would be the favorite to win the game? I would not. I would not. But let me say this, Tom, and I say this with all sincerity. The whole run that Brian Kelly had at Notre Dame, I rooted for them to get beat every weekend. Uh, Marcus Freeman, who I've never met, but everybody tells me this guy's about as classy a young man as there is on mm -hmm. earth. I think he, he exuded that, uh, that ability or that, that trait when he was here. Uh, I don't root as vociferously against them as I used to, obviously, for the purposes of, of my alma mater. I'm certainly hoping Carolina can beat them in Chapel Hill on Saturday. But, uh, you know, I, I, there, there are weekends now where I pull for him because I think he's a classy guy. Uh, I don't know that Brian Kelly knows how to spell that word. So you're not rooting for the LSU Bengal Tigers weekend and week out. Is that what you're saying? Root for them to get beat every week. Every week. <laughs> Boy, that's tough. Okay. Well, so well, you, have some, you have some important function today, right? So we got to get you out of here. Is that correct? Yes. I'm going to get in the car and drive to Dayton and uh, talk to some business people that are being treated to lunch by the Dayton Dragons. Yes. We'll let them know if any of them want to sponsor this program. We'd love to have them. I certainly will. Okay. You can well, count on that. Do you have a driver taking you up there? Is Amanda driving you? Do you drive yourself? Do they send a myself. car for you? Or how does that work? What about they security? Do. I don't have any of that. I don't have any. I've never had anybody drive me anywhere. Uh, don't have security. I'm just a common guy. Well, that's just wrong. Common guy with that basement back there. Look at that basement. Common right guy there. with $1,000 shirts. and That's right. That's right. Not okay. quite that much, but certainly more than that shirt that my son has on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, nice having All you. Right. Safe travels up to Dayton. We love you, and, uh, and I'll talk to you soon. Same here, pal. Brandon and uh, Casey, good luck, pal. Thank right, you. See it. Believe me, they need All right, it. see ya. All right. Be well. <laughs> All right. Well, Marty Brenneman, the Hall of Famer. Big, big LSU Notre Dame guy with Kelly there. Yeah, I mean, I can't see why you wouldn't root for him. You know, now, listen, okay, I don't like the way, and I totally understand people being upset with him the way he left. Right. I totally, totally get it. But I will say this, he lived very close to me the years he was a head coach here. And his wife, who was diagnosed with cancer and went through all her treatments here mm -hmm. uh, and their family, uh, the guy, I enjoyed being around him, I, I have to say. And I didn't spend a lot of time with him socially, time to time, see him in the neighborhood. He always had the big bear cat um, the, the, the Bearcat blow-up thing yeah. up in front of his house during the football season. Uh, had all kinds of kids running around and giving away all kinds of UC stuff. And look, d does that make him a perfect guy? No, it does not um, in any form or fashion. So I understand people being upset with him around here. Uh, hopefully one day, and I, I just hope one day, 
uh, that there are people that will find a way to forgive, uh, if not forget, and when they bring back those UC teams, because let's face it, I mean, at the end of the day, right. at the end of the day, say whatever you want, and no disservice to Mark D'Antonio, Luke Fickle, Rick okay? Minner. This guy is the greatest coach by far in the history of the University of Cincinnati football. Uh, he well, took them I, to places I, they had never been before. I, you can go back on the, you know, all the other you know, guys and all this kind of thing. He took them to back-to-back BCS games. No one ever thought that they would do that. Now, Luke Fickle took the next step last year. I think College Luke, football playoff final four. I think that puts Fickle above Brian okay, Kelly. Uh, well, yeah. Okay, well then, you, you know but, what? But that, Brian laid fair. the groundwork. That's fair. Well, he took them to a level that nobody dreamed they could ever go. And once he established that, right. and, and it started to go this way with, with, with Butch Jones and with uh, uh, Tommy Tuberville, now Fickle has taken it and exploded. So you're right. You're yeah. right on that. I see it as two sides. One, you can hate Brian Kelly for the way he left, and I think you're you're perfectly fine for doing that. You can be mad at him for that, but you have to appreciate where he took the program and what he was able to do with the kids here in Cincinnati. They did come back. They had Brian back in the 2009 team in 2019 for the 10-year reunion. Yeah. Brought him back on the Notre Dame bye week, and he got a pretty warm reception. And I think people were, people appreciate it, but then you see what happened at Notre Dame when he left right after, before their bowl game, so to take the job at LSU, which well, you can't know, blame but, him for but, it. But, it's but the business. Look, but look, we'll talk about this with Barry Alvarez today because no one has a better understanding of this whole thing than he does because he was a coach and he was later the athletic director for like 15 years. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's, it's, it's the way the system and the process is set up that puts these guys in that situation to do what they think is best for them personally and their future. And it's all about recruiting. Right. The yeah. second the regular season ends, right around roughly, it's been backed up in recent years because of uh, conference championship games and all that kind of thing. But basically, Notre Dame doesn't play in a conference. Um, and, and so all of a sudden, you know, Notre Dame's regular season ends and now, you know, he's got to make a decision on what he's going to do. They didn't go to the college football playoff. They went to a, a New Year's Six bowl game last year. Uh, Notre Dame did. And he had to make a decision on what he was going to do. And, and, and LSU and people like that are saying, hey, uh, we, we got to hire this guy now. Now, Luke Fickle, again, I mean, up here, even above where you can see as far as his, his, his ethics, mm -hmm. the whole deal, because he was faced with the same thing. There's no doubt in my mind that he was offered the USC job. There's no doubt in my mind there were feelers out there from Penn State. And I think Penn State is one of the very few places he would go. Mm -hmm. I believe that. I believe the two programs, and I, he's never said this to me. I don't know him. Uh, I believe the two programs he would give serious consideration to, obviously, number one, Ohio State. He'd walk out the door tomorrow. UC fans don't want to hear it, but he would. He'd Good. walk out the door tomorrow. It's his alma mater. Good thing Ryan Day is through 2028. And, 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 and he'd go there. And I think the other one was Penn State. And I cannot believe that Penn State gave that contract to James Franklin. The three that I had when I was covering UC and Fickle were Notre Dame, Ohio State number one, yeah. Notre Dame, Michigan State. You know what? Michigan State? It was. No. no he's not going I just, to he, he talked State. to him. He talked to him. He might have, but he, he, he I, and I know you know that. But there's no way. Michigan State, outside of a, a, an outlier season here or there, 
playing in the eastern half of the Big Ten. They are never year in and year out. There'll, there'll be a year where they do it. Right. But by and large, it will be uh, incredibly rare that Michigan State can beat Ohio State. Now, they've owned Michigan in recent years. But, but, but Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan in the same half of your conference, forget. Yeah. Penn State, you can win those games. Right. Yeah. My, right. my question for the whole situation with Luke Fickle is, is there any chance this year that at the end of the season that there's talks of him going to another school? And what are those schools? Because to me, like, like we said before, OSU is kind of locked up, Brian Day. So that's kind of out of the question. Notre Dame, they just signed yep. Marcus and – I mean, I, I just don't see there being like a, an issue with that in the next couple of years. Like, I well, think I, he's here to stay. Yeah, I don't know right? why, why he would. They're expanding the playoff. They're going to the Big 12. That's right. He's already proved he can get UC to the playoff in a non-Power 5 league with a four-team playoff format. Yep. I mean, I, unless Ohio State opens and Ryan Day goes to the NFL or gets canned somehow, I think Fix well, here he to stay. No, he's not. I'm just I'm saying uh, yeah. something, something crazy has to happen where that Ohio State job opens up. And that's the only chance I think now we've seen it. He's, t I mean, there was a time where West Virginia came after Fick. Michigan State, Notre Dame put out the feeler. USC, I mean, I don't see him leaving unless it's OSU. No, and, and when you look at the jobs, in case you touched on a couple of them, but when you look at some of the big-time program jobs out there, and I'm, I'm not here to say there aren't other big-time programs, but look, in one single year, one single offseason. Think about this for a second, okay? When you think about college football, okay, the LSU job opened up. That school just won a national championship two years ago, okay? Yep. Brian Kelly goes there, which means Notre Dame opens up, okay? LSU, Notre Dame opens up. Marcus Freeman stays on after being defensive coordinator under Brian Kelly. Oklahoma opens up. After Lincoln, Lincoln Riley takes off, right? Oklahoma. So LSU, Notre Dame, Oklahoma, and USC. Those four jobs in one month all opened up in college football. Now, outside of Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, you know, Alabama, that guy's not going anywhere. Uh, he just signed a new contract. Greatest college football coach of all time. I mean... Of all the other programs in college football, there's no other job out there that, that really at the end of the day, would you say, based in the conference in which it plays and so on and so forth, that would have a better chance now with a college football playoff expansion of getting in that playoff mm -hmm. more than Cincinnati? No, why, why would Coach Fickle go to a mid-level Big Ten or a mid-level SEC when he's built – in a place that he likes. He's got six kids. They built a barn in his backyard yep. with a wrestling mat, basketball hoop. I mean, he's got everything he needs here. They're putting tens of millions of dollars into that football facility. Yep. I, I just don't see why anywhere else, like you said, besides Ohio State, he would leave for. Are they all his kids, all the kids that he scouted? Is it like a full? Oh, yeah. This yeah. is all This is all him. Yeah. This is year so, six for him? Year yeah. six? Okay. Yeah. yeah. They're all his guys. And... Uh, you know, the, the one program I wonder a little bit about. Now, for guys my age, maybe this is the only reason I do wonder about it. 
because guys my age remember when Nebraska used to be a big deal. Now, unlike Michigan State, Nebraska plays in the western part of the Big Ten. Now, how they reshape that whole thing, and again, another question we can ask Barry Alvarez, who's coming up in about 10 minutes. Um, Once USC and UCLA come into the Big Ten in the not-too-distant future. But Nebraska was a huge deal for a long, long time. They have a ton of money. Their facilities are second to none. Um, You know, would that even be a job that for, if not Luke Fickle, somebody like Luke Fickle, and there aren't a lot of Luke Fickles out there, would that be a job that you find interesting? I don't know anymore. I mean, I mean, there's people have struggled there yep. recently, yeah. and there's not. It's hard to break that mold, but it is. It was at one point, like you said, it was a premier job, no doubt, no doubt. Um, and and of course, you see, he's going into the Big Twelve. You brought up, you just mentioned in passing, you know, it's a place like West Virginia. I mean, what West Virginia is not in the same galaxy as a football program as Cincinnati. Not not even the same world, and they're already in the Big Twelve. Um, rarely competing much in the Big 12, truth be told. They've had some good teams through the years, but they're, they're not. But for UC, make no mistake, even without Oklahoma and Texas leaving the Big 12 to go to the SEC, um, they are going to be facing much larger challenges week in and week out. I mean, I think a team like TCU had a great run for a long time under mm-hmm. Gary Patterson. Now Sonny Dykes is in there. You know, there might be people on UC uh, that look at a team like that. You start playing them in the Big Twelve. Uh, Oklahoma State, Baylor. Oklahoma State's big time, big time football school with good teams, no pushovers. Uh, in recent years, you know Baylor, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, these are the games every week instead of the fill in the blank. Tulane, right? Besides going to New Orleans, I'm I'm cool with playing. Never playing Tulane ever again. Great food, great people, not, not no, the best teams. No doubt. I have spent many, many, many days in that town and nights, some of which. Mornings, early mornings. Yeah, yeah. I was there for a stretch of three, three or four straight. Saints games? New Year's Eves oh, okay. in New Orleans huh. for football games, college or pro. Well, you did the. Uh... Insane. Never been for Mardi Gras, but, but, but uh, New Year's Eve, just insane. Did you and Brian do the – and he only did NFL with you. I was going to ask if you and Brian Billick did the UC-Florida game together. I did that with uh, Charles Davis. Okay. So did, did in fact, both years in a row – Right, yeah. Did uh, UC's BCS games, the one uh, in Miami against Virginia Tech and uh, the one in Urban Meyer's last game that turned out to be at Florida when right. they played the Gators down in the Sugar Bowl. Um. Before we have Barry Alvarez on the air, we'll take a break here in a second. Casey, there was one thing, and we've got him in less than nine minutes. You wanted to talk about this Jason Whitlock thing yesterday uh, as it pertains to Joe Burrow, correct? Yeah, I. it just like spread like wildfire. It was all over Twitter, and it was just absolutely just dumb. It was just a dumb take, and... You I, want to put up for those who didn't see it. We have this built graphically or no? I, I do not have it built okay, graphically. Okay, I thought I had it. Okay, I thought we had it. Uh, it was mainly just because I only wanted to focus on the one tweet that he put out there. that He compared him to like a woke Josh Rosen. Right. And, I mean, the guy's only ever posted 
on social media to begin with, like four things, maybe, within the year. Second, when he when he goes and he he's vocal about his opinions on on uh, Joe Burrow on certain things, um, it, it doesn't come across as like woke. I think he's like genuinely appreciates the or he genuinely believes in what he's what he's saying and what he he believes in. It's not to grab attention. It's not to like try to get the woke community. Um, it, it just uh, it was not a very uh, good take. It was a very um, weird take by Jason Whitlock yep. as far as what he actually like what, what where he stands at in, in uh, social media and just his stances alone. I mean. The problem I had with it was Joe Burrow chasing social media fame and certainly right. fooled yep. himself. I'm not going right. to act like I know Joe Burrow that well. I know him from covering him the last three years. I know his teammates at, at, with the Bengals, LSU, some of his coaches. One, the social media thing is super obvious. He hates it. Only does it because he wants to have a little bit of fun with Instagram captions maybe or wants to speak out on something. Two, if you think he's fooled himself or chasing – Social media fame, you do not know Joe Burrow. No question. It was very uneducated uh, of, of Jason. But at the same time, I just don't like the fact that he attacked his character instead of his play. Like, uh, all of a sudden now, he's got this, oh, well, we would be talking about him if, you know, about how he's uh, social media presence. It's around the time that he's doing bad. Like, why wasn't this the yeah. conversation when he was doing good? Yeah. Like, Come on. And, and I will say this. And look, um, where people are politically out there, far right, far left, somewhere in between, look, that, that's your business, okay? Um, I am a huge Jason Whitlock fan. Uh, I, I think he is one of the most courageous guys out there politically as an African-American man. Might be the single most courageous African-American man out there because he says things and believes things that a lot of people in this country don't want to hear about. He's not afraid to take on BLM and a lot of the things that have gone on there. He's not afraid to take on the breakup of the nuclear family and having mom and dad and kids all together. These are a lot of things that people out there either don't want to hear or simply don't want to talk about. Okay, And we're not going to talk about them on this show. But I will say this. I... I have followed Jason Whitlock for a long, long time. He's from Indianapolis. He played football at Ball State. He was a, a, a very well-known, highly thought-of sports writer for years and years, has done talk shows on Fox Sports and on ESPN. In fact, he was hired at both places twice. Now he's moved into more the political world. Um, and I was shocked. Having said that, that, that I'm a fan of his and I like him, very much. Uh, I was shocked that, 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 that he, would, he would take on Burrow in such a way that for a guy who is highly educated and extremely well-read, that he would make two statements in that whole thing. Number one, uh, the social media thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I heard Mo Egger say yesterday. On Twitter, Joe Burrow, I think, has sent out four tweets, he said, in the last year. And one of them was a day after the Super Bowl. Okay, And I think he said he's posted a total of 10 things on Instagram. That is not a guy who's chasing social media in any form or fashion. Right. Okay, And then the other part was a Josh Rosen thing. I mean, look, Josh Rosen 
coming out of UCLA, uh, I thought was mediocre at best. He's a number one pick, and the organization that took him just threw in the towel on the guy a year and a half in. Joe Burrow gets hurt his first year. He takes his team to the Super Bowl the next year after leading his college team, by the way, to the national championship. This guy devoted his highest honor and moment as a, as a football player when he won the Heisman Trophy, talking about kids that he grew up with in Athens, Ohio, that, that, that came home every night and didn't have food to eat. I went to college in Athens, Ohio. They had roughly like a $40,000 budget per year in the Athens County Food Bank until Joe Burrow spoke at the Heisman Trophy winning ceremony and talked about Athens, Ohio. They went to 10 or 15 times that budget in one night. There's this guy's heart to take that moment of your life and to remember where you grew up and the kids you grew up with. There's a lot of poverty in Appalachia around there in Athens. He went to Athens High School, a public high school there in Athens, Ohio. He saw poverty and families who were struggling, and he took that moment to remember and try and help people in that situation. Joe Burrow's A-OK. -okay. Yeah. Jason Whitlock, I thank the world of you. But look, on this one, and Lord knows, I've said things I wish I didn't say. I think on this one, I would highly recommend you reexamine the situation because Joe Burrow is on his game, on and off the field. We're back with Barry Alvarez, the big interview on Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. Well, every Wednesday, we call it the big interview here on Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. And uh, I can't tell you what a pleasure it is to be joined today by Barry Alvarez. He grew up in Pennsylvania. And after high school, he went on to play linebacker at the University of Nebraska for the legendary Bob Devaney. Believe it or not, he started his coaching career at the high school level. And that was over seven years in Nebraska and later in Iowa, where he won a state championship. Shortly thereafter, Hayden Fry said, come on board at Iowa. And Barry Alvarez spent eight years there before going to Notre Dame as defensive coordinator under Lou Holtz. Uh, they won a national championship. Then the University of Wisconsin job opens up. And I'll let him tell you here in a second. But I think just about everybody and his brother, is safe to say, told him, do not take that job. Do not take it. I mean, he started a program that had not had a winning season since 1984 and had won a total of seven Big Ten games over six years. Well, shortly thereafter, he's playing with all the big boys, and in 1993, he takes the Badgers to their first Rose Bowl since 1963. He wound up winning three Rose Bowls as a head coach for the Badgers, multiple Big Ten titles, and later became the athletic director after stepping down. Hell, there's a, there's a statue of the guy outside the stadium, and he's still alive. So we welcome in Barry Alvarez. Barry, what do you think when you walk by that statue every day? Seriously, what do you think about that? You know, I try to I try to look past it, Tom, because you know, there aren't many, as you said, there aren't many guys alive that have a statue. So, um, you know, it's humbling. But, 
you know, after a while, it's no big deal. How many people told you not to take that Wisconsin job? Uh, just about everyone that uh, that I leaned on for, for advice, including Bob Devaney, uh, Coach Holtz. I can remember I, I went in and told Lou that I was going to take the job. He says, oh, no, don't take that job. Let me, I can get you a good job. <laughs> <laughs> but you made it into a good job. And, and, and I'm curious, Barry, uh, if there are one or two things that you did when you take over that program, and, and, I, and I just mentioned seven Big Ten victories over a six-year span, um, what are one or two or three or more uh, of, of philosophies that you brought with you to Wisconsin to get that thing going right from the very beginning? Well, you know, the first thing, I, I get that question a lot from, from particularly young coaches. And, you know, I tell them, first of all, study the job that you're going to take. Um, take a look and see if you really think, study it and understand uh, you have to come up with a specific formula that fits that job. Now, I looked at, at Wisconsin. I'd recruited here. I recruited the Big Ten. You know, I've been in the Big Ten a, a number of years. And, you know, I looked at the state. I saw most of the players in the state leaving. And, uh, you know, uh, Wisconsin was – or Iowa was going to the Big Ten – or Rose Bowl that year. They had 11 kids from Wisconsin in the two deep. I had the top two committed to Notre Dame. Uh, Michigan had players, uh, you know, they were all over except at the university. They were getting seconds here. So, you know, I felt if I could keep the best players here, they could play any place. And then you look at the type of players you have and in this case, and then devise a plan. In this case, in Wisconsin, you have big guys, a lot of big people in the state, uh, maybe not a lot of skilled players, a few. But and then you devise your plan on the type of football that you're going to play. And. Um, I felt like we can build a physical team, always have good linemen, big linemen, uh, go out and find some backs, and then, and then start from there. Be sound, not beat yourself, and, uh, and then build a program to compete against Ohio State and Michigan. If you want to win the league, you have to beat those two teams because they were dominating the league at the time. And then, you know, I, I knew that I, I could put a good staff together, um, and I and, – I, I had guys that could recruit. You know, you've got to recruit, um, you know, first your state, but you got to have people that can recruit. And I think on my first staff, I had what I would consider probably seven elite recruiters. In our first class, which we only had a month to get, those guys led us to our first Rose Bowl. I want to go back to when you're coaching in high school. So here you leave uh, as a player at the University of Nebraska. Uh, you start your coaching career. Uh, you start in Nebraska. Off you go to Iowa. I think it was Mason City High School is one you, where you won a state championship. Correct me if I'm wrong here. Uh, That's right. I, I got to believe, you know, as we all get older, we look back on moments in our life and, 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 and you say to yourself, man, that was – I may have had other things that other, other people perceive as being bigger moments, winning Rose Bowls, et cetera. But that high school football state championship, I would imagine, Barry, you tell me, has to still stand out for you as one of the best you ever had. You know what? I said that after our first Rose Bowl. They talked about a great, you know, how great the win was and how I felt about it. And I said, I feel the same way as I did the night when I won a state championship at Mason City, Iowa. You know, it's still about getting a group of players and group of coaches and, 
having a fan base support you and and do all those things and and, and beat the very best. And so, yeah, it, it was a great thrill for me. And I was in high school. You said so. I was in there nine years. I was three years or four years as an assistant coach in Lincoln before I took my first head coaching job out in a small school out in the middle of the state, uh, Lexington, Nebraska. And I was there two years, and they then Mason City uh, came came and recruited me. But, uh, yeah, it was a great thrill. When – when you go your first season at Wisconsin, I believe you go one in ten that first year. Did you really feel like things were were moving in the right direction? One in ten ain't easy. No, that's right. Um, because as a head coach, you have to walk into the meeting with confidence. You can't be down. I'd come home down, and my wife would get after me. You know we're. She can Where's do that, that now. With, Cindy can do that with the yeah. best of them. She can get after she you a little bit, <laughs> and she did. But uh, so you have to have you have to be upbeat. But I tell you, the time when I knew that I had the players, we we had one win. We're going to play Michigan State at Michigan State. Last game of the year. It's cold. It's snowy. Michigan State has a, a very good team. One of George, you know, one of a typical George Perlis team. It's physical. Um, they're going to a nice bowl game, etc. And, and my, our guys played lights out. I mean, we didn't have an offense. We Troy Vincent scored on a punt return. That was our only touchdown. But we take it down to the wire. Um, I've got a little receiver, drops about a five-yard pass uh, that would have won the game. But uh, I told our guys after the game, I, they played as hard as they could. No one had quit. I told the seniors, you know, I thanked them because they stuck with me and, and uh, they helped build a foundation that I knew – from that point on, we're going to be really competitive. Well, two years later, you beat Ohio State. Now, yeah. you know, I think everybody agrees that in the Big Ten, and, and look, for a long time it could have been Ohio State or Michigan, but in more recent years, Ohio State uh, became the gold standard uh, in the league and, and quite frankly still is today in many, many ways. But when you beat them for the first time, I have to believe not only the guys you had in your locker room, your players, your coaches, great fans. I've always said the best fans in the world, both pro and college, uh, are in Wisconsin. I really believe that. Um, but, but all of a sudden, other players that maybe you were out there recruiting that are saying, oh, hold on a minute now, Wisconsin just beat Ohio State. Is that fair? That's fair. You know, you can show progress. <clears throat> you can make promises. You know, when you're recruiting – you have to show kids that they're going to be successful and they're going to go to bowl games. Um, and that's what that game uh, showed them, that we're, we're a new staff. All of us had had success wherever we had been. But now you have some tangible proof uh, that, that you can beat and play with the big boys. And so that, that did. That helped us a great deal in, in, uh, in recruiting. And by the way, the quarterback was Herb Street on that team. <laughs> You don't ever remind him of that, do you? He reminds me. <laughs> does he really? Sure he does. That's funny. Of course, he, he makes his home now here in Cincinnati. His son is a quarterback over at uh, uh, St. Xavier High School uh, on their JV team. And uh, who knows? Maybe one day he'll be the starter at St. X. Um, for kids that grew up, and, and this is so much changing, and we're going to get into this a little bit later on, but for those of us who grew up in the Midwest – or on the West Coast. The Rose Bowl was that game when you're sitting in the dead of winter in 
Ohio and Wisconsin and Indiana and Michigan and all these places, Pennsylvania, and you're thinking, man, oh, man, does that look like one cool place to be the Rose Bowl. It was the Big Ten champ every year against the Pac-12 champ every year. Do you recall when you walked on the field that first Rose Bowl you coached? Well, actually, the first time I coached in that game, I was coaching at Iowa. And uh, I can remember walking into the tunnel and walking out, and, and it abs actually takes your breath away. It's so beautiful. And if you don't prepare your team, you can be, you know, deep into the first quarter and you say, well, hell, we're playing a game. You know, it, it, it literally takes your breath away. So, um, and we didn't play very well. I was out there twice as an assistant coach at Iowa and we didn't play well, but I, I really studied and I watched what Don James was doing. He was, he was coaching at Washington. He beat us one year and, and I went out another year to watch them play. Uh, I think they were playing Iowa. And I went out and I, I watched his practices and I watched what he did because he had a great plan and I stole a lot of his ideas in preparation for the bowl game. But you have to take your players to the stadium before the game and show them the stadium. Let them walk around, see how, how beautiful the atmosphere is. I say it's the, it, it's the most attractive venue in all of sport. Well, what did you learn from Don James? Because there are a lot of people out there. There's a generation of people out there that don't remember Don James and the program that he put together at Washington. I mean, NFL players all over the place, great college teams, great college programs. What did you learn from him on how to not let the quote-unquote distractions and beauty uh, take away from what you were there to do? Okay, and I built – you know, I had a pretty good bowl record at one time. I had the best bowl record in college football. And a lot of it was tapered. You know, the, the Rose Bowl, um, when we first went, we went out there on the 17th of December. So did so did Washington, because neither one of us had indoor facilities. So that's a long time for your players. But now at a regular bowl game, I took a, a moderation of, of, of that plan that, that Don gave us. And here, here was the plan. We, we went out on the 17th, and our schedule was get up at, at – at, 6:45. Have breakfast, then have meetings. Hurry up, get to practice. Then at one, you know, right after practice, we'd get dressed and go to Disneyland. Then we go to Knott's Berry Farms. Then we go someplace else. Then we go someplace else. And I and, and I was watching what what Washington was doing. They were out there too. They gave every four guys a car. Um, they uh, they had no curfew. They they practice at three in the afternoon. Uh, so their guys, you know, guys are going to go out there. They want to have fun. They're going to run. And, you know, three in the afternoon, they have their sleep. They're going to practice and then go about their business. Then the week of the game, they're burned out. Now it's time to focus on the game. And and, and you go about it that way. And so that's what I did. I, I learned that the, that from him. You put your game plan in before you leave campus. Uh, so you're practicing your game plan the whole time out there. Uh, you let your players have a lot of freedom early in your stay. And as you get closer to the game, you, folk, you, you get more and more focused. You have uh, tighter hours and curfews and that type of thing. One player you recruited, and uh, look, I, his NFL career, I don't care, and we're not talking about that. But for, again, I think now a generation has gone by where a lot of people uh, don't know who Ron Dane is. 
When Ron Dane came into Wisconsin, you're recruiting this kid now. He is from the state of New Jersey, Pine Hill, New Jersey. And in 1996, he weighs 270 pounds and is among the fastest, if the not most, the fastest kid in the state of New Jersey. This guy was unlike anybody the college football world had ever seen. How did you see, hear about, and then uh, convince Ron Dane to come from New Jersey to Wisconsin to play football? By the way, Ohio State was the other school. It came down to us in Ohio State on, uh, on signing Ron. Um, I, had, I had a guy on my staff, Bernie Wyatt, who really was a, an unbelievable recruiter. And he, we were together at Iowa, and then I was able to hire him here. But he had tremendous ties and contacts and relationships with high school coaches. Um, we had recruited a number of players from Ron's, from Ron's school. Uh, the counselor at the school um, had, you know, the kids all hung out there. The players all hung out in this counselor's office. And Bernie had, Bernie had a tremendous relationship with him. The guys who we took and, and we took, when we, even some we took at Iowa, they all came. They had success. They graduated. The ones that didn't play, they still graduated. And the counselor knew we were going to take care of them. I, you know, we got in on Ron early. I really got to know the family well. Really had built a great relationship with him. And, uh, you know, and a lot of it was the relationship that Bernie had with, with the counselor and then the relationship that I built with Ron and his family. Had you ever seen an athlete like him at his size before? You saw a lot of football players, Coach. Yeah. This guy had to be among the most unique cats you had ever laid eyes on. Tom, he came the week the, the week before he reported here. He came from the West Coast uh, track meet. Then the, it was the state champs from all over the country, and he won the shot and disc. He was 270 pounds. Uh, his first day at workouts, my strength coach comes back and said, that young freshman kid is 270 pounds. He's beating everybody in 10-yard bursts. You know, he's a freak, you know, and, and I told him, you know, everybody was recruiting him as a fullback. And I, he, I said, what do you want to do? He said, I want to carry the ball. I said, you know what? You know, I'll, I'll give you that ball. It's not very heavy and I'll give it to you a bunch, man. <laughs> Tell the story you shared with me when we, we did a couple of those bowl games together uh, about a conversation. I'm not going to remember if it was a bowl game, whether it was a regular season game or whatever it might be, where – you were turning around and handing the ball off to Ron Dean virtually every play to start a game, and your offensive coordinator says in your ear what, and what was your response? He said what? I, I, I missed the story. I could, you know, Ron was our offense, and he says our tendencies, it was Brad Childress, and he reminds me of this all the time. So we, we handed it to Ron all the way down the field. Now, this is a kid, he's, he's – probably 18 years old and gave him the ball 47 times one week the next week 49 next one 51 and so that was our offense quarterback didn't throw it very well and he says you know we haven't thrown on first down now we've handed the ball off all the way down the field and it's first and goal on the like three yard line he wants to throw play action I said no no you handed the run again <laughs> you know and so we score and but the thing with with Ron I'd give it to him so much and he get, he'd get tired and He'd pat his helmet to get out of the game. I'd say, no, 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 no. One more first down. 
Is he the greatest player? You know, Ohio State people are going to go off the reservation when I ask you this question uh, because of Archie Griffin, the only player in the history of college football to win back-to-back Heisman trophies. I think the argument can be made. The greatest player in the history of the Big Ten Conference is Ron Dane. Yeah, he's right up there. He's right up there. I mean, uh, Archie was a great, obviously, very one of the best that ever played, if not the best. Uh, but we banked our, our whole offense was Ron Dane as a, as a true freshman. Um, you know, Mike Samuel was our quarterback. Bless him. He, he was tough as they came. In crunch, in crunch time, he, he, he could throw a strike. But uh, we relied on him to run the ball. But it was – if we were going to – let's say we had 75 snaps, Ron's going to get close to 50 of them. And everybody knows who's going to get the ball. Uh, well, now we had a good line also, but um, he carried us. He was our offense. And I think, you know, when people today think about Wisconsin football, they think it's, you know, they, they think it's three yards in a cloud of dust, although he ran for more than three yards. Um, but it's, it's, they, they visualize him carrying the ball. And uh, that was, the, it's, that's our identity. But, uh, I don't know if he's the the greatest, but I know he he's one of, he's one of the best that's ever come through. Yeah, just for the record, by the way, in back to back Rose Bowl victories, which Barry Alvarez is the only coach in the history of the Big Ten to win back to back Rose Bowls. In those two Rose Bowl games, Ron Dane ran for two hundred and forty six yards in one of them, and in the other one, he ran for an even two hundred yards. Why was he never a big star in the NFL, do you think, Coach? You know, um, his he started out, it was he and Tiki Barber, and they were alternating. They called him Thunder and Lightning. And uh, that, that, that team went to the, super, to, to the uh, Super Bowl. And he didn't carry the ball one time in the Super Bowl. And I, I don't know. I don't know the answer. He had a great year that year, and he was just he was kind of phased out after that. Uh, I never got it explained to me. I, I don't know. I was at the game. I was I was I was baffled that he wasn't playing in the game because he had a, he had a very good year, and the two of them together were a, a tremendous one-two package. Two thousand five, you go ten and three, and you walk away. Why? Oh, you know what? I was doing both jobs, and I had done them for done it for two years, and I knew sooner or later, and I and I told it the the, the uh, chancellor that uh, you know I would do both and, and if either one of us felt it was too much that I'd step away from one or the other um, and so I had a young assistant in Brett Bielema that I thought could handle the job which he did he did a tremendous job for us uh, and I just thought it was time uh, I had that you know I could keep the program going and he could run it the same way I did I could oversee him and, and help him, you know, help a first-year coach uh, make decisions and, and, and help him be successful, and I could run the program. So, you know, I, I, more than anything else, it was, you know, doing both, it just wore on. You had no time whatsoever. I'm drawing a blank on the, um, on the coach, and I just saw the headline today, and they were asking if he was – oh, it was Steve Wojciechowski, basketball coach. Was that Marquette there for a while? You know Wojo. Yeah, um, and yeah. he was let go. And uh, the article, and, and I'll go back and read the whole thing, but it, I, I went through the first couple of paragraphs where he said that, you know, uh, he's not in a hurry to get back into coaching. 
that the guy that was his mentor, Mike Krzyzewski, whom he played for at Duke, and he coached under at Duke for a long, long time before he took that Marquette job, he said, I saw Coach K miss a lot of things in his life that I don't want to miss. You became athletic director, and though that, that was the other job you were talking about. You were the head football coach and the AD at Wisconsin. Um, and, and look, both of them require a lot of time. Um, can you even relate to a guy who says something like that? And I don't mean that in a disparaging way at all towards Steve Wojciechowski, not in any way, shape, or form. Everybody's got to do what they think is best for them. But do you think it's safe to say um, that you really do give up so much of your life in either one of those two roles? You do. You do. I, you know, one of the things that really hurt me when I when I retired, I can remember coming home one time and, and – uh, or, or us being someplace and it was, we were around players and, you know, uh, and always had a great relationship with my players. And my wife came coming up and said, you realize you, you spend more time with these guys than you do with your son. And that really hurt me. I mean, that really bothered me. And I couldn't argue with her. You know, I'm, I'm down at the job early in the morning till late at night traveling together. I was spending more time with them than I was with my own kids. Um, and so, yeah, I can see that, and particularly if you have young kids. Um, you know, my, I, I've gone through high school, so you know they they were pretty much grown when I when I get, you know got into college coaching. But uh, yeah, I can see that. I can see that easily. Well, you you know you 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 made up, I guess, if there is such a thing for lost time because you've had a chance to to be around your grandkids and actually have them play at Wisconsin. That has to be really yeah. cool, or was really cool, right? That's really, I mean, that was special. Uh, my daughter and, and, and her husband moved back to Madison when they were, when Joe, who is, is my oldest grandson, uh, I think he was in kindergarten. And then Jake was born and uh, Jake was just a baby. And so I went to every game they had and they played, they're all, both of them were three sport guys from, you know, from youth, from youth football, basketball, junior high, high school basketball and football. Uh, and then both of them coming here, and both of them had, having good careers here. Uh, that was really neat. That was a lot of fun for me. And, uh, you know, like last week I went, or two weeks ago, last uh, I went down and watched Dallas play, uh, be Jake's first uh, NFL game down in, in Dallas. That was pretty, that was really cool. Also. I mean, how cool is that, right? How cool is that? I mean, oh, my I, buttons I, were burst. <laughs> Did you talk to him before the game? Did you see him, you know, a day or two before I the saw, game when you? No, I, no I, we got there the day. We got there about three. We flew down the day of the game. We, we spent time after the game. We, we went back and picked him up and took him back to his, uh, to his condo and, and, and spent time with him after the game. But I send him something. You know, we, we uh, correspond every day. I'll, I'll text him or email him every day and, I'll, you know, see how things are going after the game. I try to encourage him before a game and, and give him a little critique after the game. <laughs> That's got to be a different world, right? I mean, not only the, the, the jump from college to pro, but, but going from a town where he grew up in Madison, Wisconsin, granddad is there, athletic director, knows a bunch of people, is a good player, playing for a great college football program, but it's still Madison, Wisconsin. It's the state capital. It's a beautiful town, great town, great college campus, big campus. But now you're in Dallas, Texas with the Dallas Cowboys. 
any shock value there for him, or, or he was ready for all that? No, he, he was ready. I think, uh, and the thing he is was impressed with is how Dallas, everything they do, uh, he says is first class. Uh, they assign them like a family that uh, has them over to for dinner. I know we used to do that uh, in, in here and at Iowa. Um, and so they do that. I didn't know the NFL did that. And I'm sure most, a lot of teams probably don't. But uh, they're assigned a family who basically adopt uh, some of these young players. And and uh, he, it was a really easy adjustment for him because they made it easy for him. All right, I want to get into some of the stuff going on in college football today. Uh, you were an athletic director. Uh, you stepped down from that job uh, and, and, and full knowledge and inner workings of the conference and of television and all this kind of stuff going on. I want to start with NIL. and Because I don't understand much about it, Coach, but – but, but walk me through how it works when some company wants to sponsor Joe Blow. What is exactly the process that has to happen there? Do they have to go through the athletic department? Do they contact uh, some kind of representative for Joe Blow? Is Joe Blow allowed to have a representative because he's an amateur player and not a pro player? Yeah, yeah. Um... The school is not supposedly not allowed not to arrange, make these arrangements. Um, so an individual company can contact the player directly. Most of them will have now have representatives. Um, I just read one today where a company is going to commit. Um, I thought I thought he said, if I'm not mistaken, a million dollars um, to to a basketball player and a football player, um, and and they're going to represent his company. He's going to give him job. I mean, he, whoever this, I, I can't remember where I read this, but whoever it was knew the rules and, and actually going to have them uh, represent his business uh, for a fee. And, you know, um, I think, I think this will all level off. I think it, I, I'm, I'm for everything we can do for our student athletes. Um, but you have to keep it out of recruiting. Um, and, and you're reading about schools that are flat out going out and, and, and you're reading how much money players are getting to, to commit to a school or go play for a school. Um, we need the NC2A to enforce the, enforce the law. You know, we have rules, we have guardrails, but they aren't being enforced. And that really has put a lot of college coaches in, in a bind. They don't know. I sat in with the football coaches several months ago, and, and they're in a quandary. You know, if they don't – if other people are doing this, if I do it, I can be fired for cause. Uh, what should I do? I, you know, uh, they're, they're put in a tough spot. So I just think we need the NC2A or someone or some, some type of an arrangement where uh, we get our arms around it manage it because i think in the long run it's good for the student athletes and i think things will things will balance out they'll, they'll work this out but i think it's great that they can earn some money you know i i i've thought a lot about just this topic even though i don't know a ton about it and and you know the first natural reaction i think by most people is well this is a win 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 for all the big boys um and wisconsin being one of them um 
But, you know, when you start traveling around, say where I went to school in, in Athens, Ohio, at Ohio University, now there's not a ton of money. It's not a big city by any form or fashion. But it seems like the not-so-big boys, uh, some of their student-athletes can stick a few bucks in their pocket from some of the smaller towns or smaller businesses in all these college towns all over the country. Do you think it, 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 it's such a huge separator from the haves and the quote-unquote have-nots? Uh, I think it can be, but what, what's the difference? You know, Ohio, you couldn't compete with other Big Ten schools to start with. Now, um, I, I think it all—I think it all balances out, Tom. And I think, you know, every community, you're, the businesses are, are hiring people to advertise. They're, they're hiring talent to advertise for them. You know, I, I you know, uh, I was talking with some people. First, when this came out, and one of them happened to be from Lands End, which is a the, the the place is just south of Madison. I said, Lands End. Let me give you an example. I mean, you have a catalog, don't you? A big and tall? Yes. Well, you know, who's bigger and taller than our, our volleyball, our girls' volleyball, or using them as your models? I mean, you have to hire somebody. So why not the athletes? Um, so I, I think it's there's a there's an opportunity for everybody in every level school. Um, then there's the transfer portal. I have Brian Billick on my show um, twice a week. And, and, you know, he was brought in by Herm Edwards out at Arizona State to be an offensive analyst. Marvin Lewis was, was the same as a defensive analyst. We know Herm Edwards has been uh, let go just this past weekend. Um, but we were talking about the transfer portal and, and how maybe more than anything else, Barry, and, and you've forgotten more about this stuff than I'll ever know, how it has so very much changed the landscape of college athletics. It's free agency. And you know what's interesting? I had a good visit with Mal Tucker uh, before the season, one of my former players. And, and Mal's telling me, you know, having been in the NFL, he, he treats, treat, he's treating this like uh, the NFL treated free agency. Know who's out there, have people assigned, um, you know, know the, the ones that, that can fit into your program, do your homework. Um, you know, that, so in my philosophy has always been, so those are the rules now. You better, instead of complaining about them, you better adapt and, and you better figure out how to take the, the best advantage of it. And so I thought Mal really had a good, very good approach. And, and let me tell you, Tom, this is what I did. And this is what I told the coaches when I was the athletic director. When these rules came up, I said, listen, first of all, you recruited all these kids that play for you. You've been in their homes. You know their parents. You, you know which ones are helicopter parents. You want know which ones are pampered. You know which ones are spoiled. You know, you know all those things. You should know all those things before you sign them. And if you can't build a relation, you sign him, you bring him here. If you can't build a relationship where he doesn't want to play for you and, and, and want, doesn't want to uh, please you and, and build that type of relationship with a player and he wants to go, then that's on you. That's on you. So don't blame the transfer portal and the rules. That's on you that you haven't built a relationship. And I, I believe that. We've got a great place here, good school academically it's wonderful good community um it's up to the coach to build that relationship and if they're not playing and they're not happy and they have a chance to go someplace else then so be it go find another one 
What about, Coach, the whole process of and, – and there's oftentimes a lot of talk here in Cincinnati, uh, and it, it, it was drummed up again when Brian Kelly left Notre Dame to go to LSU. Um, the way he left Cincinnati, and I'm not asking you to comment on the way Brian Kelly left Cincinnati or left Notre Dame, but but the bottom line is the way the, the, the structure of the system, and we were talking about this before you came on, um, because a lot of people around here just, just hammer Brian Kelly regularly um, for the way he left. Um, but, but should something be done in college sports um, that – you know, a team season ends roughly around, depending on who you are, Thanksgiving, maybe the first weekend of December. You're going to make a coaching change. You're a big-time program. You're going after a guy. But to hire the guy, you got to bring him in before his team goes to play in a big bowl game. That happened with Kelly here when they took him to a BCS game uh, for the second time, and then he leaves uh, to go to Notre Dame. Um is that something that college football or the NCAA has talked about changing at all? I haven't heard that. I haven't heard any discussion about that. I think that's where each individual schools builds that into contracts. If somebody's, if someone's going to leave, uh, then you've got to build liquidated damages into that contract where they're going to pay X amount of dollars uh, to the team that, you know, to the, to the school he's leaving. And, you know, we see all these contracts where um, guys are making all this money and they're, or if they fire somebody, they're giving them millions of dollars, which drives me crazy. That's just bad business. Um, but you've got to build it both ways when somebody leaves that his liquidated damages are substantial enough that it, you know, that that the school can move forward. Mm -hmm. with it. Uh, Big Ten expand. Yeah, Big Ten expansion, you're right in the middle of it. You're working alongside the Big Ten commissioner, Kevin Warren, on every single one of these decisions. Um, I'm not going to ask you if you were shocked because you knew about the possibility of it long before any of us did. I'm still shocked, Coach, that USC and UCLA are now going to be in the Big Ten. I can't believe it. you got to adapt. <laughs> you got to adapt, Tom. That's what my wife actually... tells me all the time, for God's sakes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to adapt. There's change. Things are changing. It's going to change. I think that, you know, as, as we've known that, you know, we used to sit back. You talked about it already. We used to sit back and dream about going to the to the Rose Bowl. Any kid that ever grew up in Big Ten country, that's where you wanted to go. Now it's go to, you know, go to the Final Four, you know, go go play in the for the uh, championship game. Uh, the, the Rose Bowl doesn't have the luster that it did before. So, you know, all, things continue to change. So, uh. <laughs> Do you think this ends up going? I know you don't have a crystal ball, but do you think this thing ends up just becoming, if it's not there already, um, two major college f uh, football, for sure, football conferences, and, and maybe, you know, the, the Big Ten still plucks away at a couple of other places here and there, and or the SEC does the same thing. Do you think we can continue to see expansion in those two conferences, especially? I, I think uh, uh, I think things are moving in that direction. Uh, I think uh, <clears throat> there's been so, you know, I think somehow you have to get your arms around college football and basketball. You know, foot, quite frankly, 
you know, for, for the school, and, you know, every the, the major colleges, football is paying all the bills. And so to, to, to follow the, the same rules for, for all the different levels um, is, is difficult. So um, I think we're moving in that direction where you, you have supervision, football kind of goes off to its, its own and, and is managed uh, differently. What's a danger of that in and of itself? If there is one thing that would be a negative to that, of having almost a different body, if you will, rather than the NCAA running college football, um, or is there one? You know, I I, I don't know. I, I don't have that answer. Um, I know if it keeps if we, if we keep going the direction we are, you know, your your varsity sports, your your Olympic sports. Um, you know, I think they may be in danger, uh, you know, schools funding them. If you're pumping all your money, uh, uh, in one direction to football and basketball, your two money makers, then, you know, somehow you've got to pay for everything. So th that's, that's what would concern me. And because I, I, I still believe in a broad based program where you support, you know, colleges, uh, have in the big 10, I think we average 24 sports. And I, I sure hate to lose that. Um, one of the reasons uh, I had asked you to be on this week is because this coming Saturday, the Wisconsin Badgers take on the Ohio State Buckeyes. Um, your thoughts about this game? It's in Columbus. Um, you know, these are two of the powerhouse programs. Certainly, it, it's been the best program in one side of the conference in Wisconsin uh, against the best program on the other side of the conference in Ohio State. What are your thoughts looking at this game? Yeah, you know what, I'm really impressed with uh, Ryan Day and, and, and what Ohio State has done recruiting-wise. I think they've, you know, uh, except for last year when, when Michigan beat them, you know, they've been so dominant. And you take, all you have to do is look at the draft and see the number of people a uh, number of their players are taken er, very early, first round in the draft, et cetera. Uh, how many five-star recruit they sign every year? Their recruiting is so much superior to me. It, it, it's allowed them to separate from the league, and, and their record, you know, backs that up. So I, I, I'm impressed with that. You know, I'm, I'm very impressed with the, with the job that they've done. Um, you know, for us to have a chance, we can't beat ourselves. Um, you, you've got to, you know, you've got to control them. Can't give them a lot of home runs, uh, big plays, and uh, try to shorten the game. Try to shorten the game with ball control and, and that type thing and get a few breaks. Well, I think Notre Dame did that in, in the season opener. I was at that game. And, and, and Notre yeah. Dame, uh, you know, they, 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 they played right there and had a chance in the third quarter uh, to, to win that thing. In the fourth quarter, Ohio State's ground game started to crank it up uh, a little bit more. Does Jim Leonard, your defensive coordinator, does he come to you and say, hey, coach, I might need a little help this week. We're playing a, a bunch of guys that are going in the NFL in a year from now. No, Jim, he's doing fine on his own. <laughs> uh, he's, he's a great one. He really is. He's a wonderful story, you know. Uh, a little walk on. I remember he came. I didn't even know who he was, and he came to our summer camp, and we were timing 40s, and he went by me. I heard him. You know, I heard the winds. I said, who's that little guy? You know, and we got him to walk on. And after about the third day of practice, I can remember telling the secondary coach, see that little guy down there? You get him up here with the ones and twos. The guy says, what are you talking about? And I said, 
Have you watched practice? Same practice I watch. Every ball is thrown. His hands are on it. He intercepts it. You know, he's, he's around the ball. Get him up here. And uh, people don't know, besides being a, uh, an all-Big Ten player, he, he led, when he left, he had the uh, most punt return yardage of anyone ever in the Big Ten. You know, so uh, he knows he's very smart. He understands the game. Every NFL team uh, that he played for, uh, he was the guy that he was the quarterback of the defense. He understood it. Well, he's he's special. He really is. Well, coach, he need uh, AMI. yes, he does. Everybody needs your help. If they if they're not picking your brain, then something's wrong. Well, Barry, uh, you know, look, uh, give Cindy our love. The kids and the grandkids. Um, I'm going to have her on one of these days. Because she's, she's got about as much fire as anybody I've ever been around. But, we, you know, it's funny. I was thinking the other day they had that uh, 15th anniversary of, of two games, um, the Michigan-Appalachian State game, which I had a chance to call, but then uh, the 15th anniversary of the game that uh, you and I did together, which was uh, Boise State and Oklahoma. Uh, I, I still, you know – I. When they run some of those highlights, I, I just get goosebumps about us being in that stadium that night for that game. It was unbelievable. You know, and I, I'm, I'm good friends with Bob Stoops. He's like one of my sons, you know, and to, to watch that and, uh, you know, be be close to it because of knowing him. But to see what Boise did. Now, if I'm not mistaken, the quarterback is the, is the offensive coordinator of the Cowboys. Yeah, that's exactly right. The Boise, that's exactly right. Boise yeah. quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. Boise quarterback. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, that was that was unbelievable. That was a great. Uh, I tell people that all the time. What a great game! What a yeah. What an experience. That was so much fun. And uh, so, Barry, all the best. God bless you, my friend. Thank you for your time today. I know you're off doing a bunch of business with the uh, with the Big Ten and, and Commissioner Warren and continued success. And thank you for your time today, man. I really appreciate it. You bet, Tom. I need to talk to you. Give me a call when you're, when you're free. Out. I will do it. Okay. Barry Alvarez, kind enough to join us on the big interview today. I'm telling you, you talk about a Hall of Fame guy, man. Um, I, I was so intimidated. Uh, what had happened was uh, Barry was still um, – he, he had just retired from coaching uh, and was the athletic director, but was so – I mean – when you walk into a room, and every year they have this big coaches function in New York City, uh, and Fox had sent me there to, to meet Barry, Al Barry Alvarez. Uh, we were going to be doing both the Fiesta Bowl, uh, which was the Oklahoma-Boise State game, and then the national championship game a week later, which that year was Ohio State against Florida. And, um, and I remember just being so intimidated because watching that guy on TV, for those of you old enough to remember, I mean, you talk about tough and just, I mean, you, even now you just look at him. I mean, you know, and, and what a beautiful, beautiful guy. And, and the reverence that people have for him in college football. And look, we're in a day and age now where it's, you know, Ryan Day and Lincoln Riley and Nick Saban and, and all these guys. I'm telling you, in the history of college football, the history of college football. Woody Hayes, Bo Schembechler, going way back, Barry Switzer and Bud Wilkinson. All, nobody, nobody did more for a single school than Barry Alvarez did for the University of Wisconsin. You heard him say it. Lou Holtz looked him in the eye and said, do not take that job. It's a dead-end street. Dead-end street. 
Barry Alvarez took that job, and now that is one of the top 15 college football programs in the country. In some cases, top 10. It's a big-time job at a big-time school at a great town. If you ever go to Madison, Wisconsin, have a chance. You got to go. Uh, it, it, surrounded on both sides, you got the state capitol. You got water on both sides. And a little, little drive that has water on both sides, it takes you into the campus. It is an awesome place. And Camp Randall is a big league place to watch football game. Although Barry knows it and I know it. Uh, the Badgers are in big trouble Saturday. 7.30 P. Columbus, Ohio. Whew. Place is going to be jumping. Bucks are getting it rolling. All right, we're going to talk about a couple of other things with uh, Casey and Brandon uh, before we wrap up the show today. It's Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers, and thanks to Barry Alvarez. Hope you enjoyed it. All right, welcome back to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. Let's run through a few things that are happening around the world of sports. Bengals back at it today at Paycor Stadium, preparing for the New York Jets. That is Sunday in the Meadowlands of New Jersey. Bengals are a five-point favorite for that one o'clock start. Five points. Uh, over under 44 and a half. That five points is a bit of a surprise, but, but you know, hey, look, it is what it is to start the year. Did you see the story out of Cleveland yesterday? So their star running back, Nick Chubb, said he should have run out of bounds with about a minute 30 left to go instead of scoring a touchdown. Now, you know, we hear this stuff all the time, but, but, but look, it gave the Browns a 30-17 to 17 lead with a minute 30 to go. 30-17, to 17, okay? So two things. He's accurate, okay? But he's falling on a sword for his teammates. He's accurate that if he falls down, the Jets are out of timeouts, and the Brownies could have run out the clock. That's all true. His head coach said he should have told him to take a knee, not run out of bounds, take a knee and let the clock continue to run. But, but, I mean, come on. As it turns out, the Jets win by scoring a touchdown. They go straight down the field on the defense. No timeouts left. They execute the onsides kick, recover, then go right down the field and score a touchdown again with no timeouts. That's the first time in 21 years in the NFL, first time 21 years, that a team won a game trailing by 13 points or more with 90 seconds to go. Can't somebody in this day and age, seriously, can't somebody in this day and age just come out and say what everyone else knows? The special teams and the defense coughed it up. The players in a locker room know it. But it seems like we live in a time now where players can't call out their teammates. Coaches rarely call out their players. Now, you can't do it every day because if you do that, you lose the locker room. If you're a player, you're losing teammates. If you're a coach, you're losing your players. But come on. Nick Chubb, who scores a touchdown, is apologizing and saying that he's the reason they lost the game. That's absurd. 
Uh, Brownies and Steelers, by the way, tomorrow night. That's a big-time game. That'll be on the lakefront in northern Ohio. Cleveland, a a four-and-a-half-point favorite. There are some excellent games this weekend in the NFL. How about the Packers at Tampa Bay? Rodgers v. Brady. The Bills, who look like the best team in football through two games. They are the best team in football through two games. They go to Miami. Miami has a lot of people, you, me, wondering, can they win that game? Both teams are 2-0. Baltimore is in New England. New England got hammered by Miami in Miami, but then went and beat the Steelers in Pittsburgh over the weekend. You know that already. Uh, and, and, and Baltimore, they were up 35-14 to on Sunday and lost to Miami. And I'll tell you one other game that I think is going to be interesting to watch. And some of you may roll your eyes. But I think it's Minnesota playing in Detroit. You're probably saying the Lions. I mean, are you kidding? And I get it. I'm not kidding. They have played very well the first two games and appear to no longer be some pushover under Dan Campbell. This could be a huge, it is a huge game for the Minnesota or for the Detroit Lions and for the Vikings for that matter. They looked awful the other night against Philadelphia. Baseball news, Reds dropped the opener of a two-game set against the Boston Red Sox. They'll wrap up that series tonight. And then the Milwaukee Brewers come to town, a four-game series, huge, every game for Milwaukee. The Reds have 14 games left. They're sitting on 90 losses. You heard from Marty Brenneman earlier. Does it matter if you lose 100? I don't know. The biggest news in baseball without question, the Aaron Judge story. He hit number 60 last night. He's one shy of tying Roger Maris, all-time American League single-season home run record. By the way, for the record, no one else this year in Major League Baseball has more than 40 home runs. And Judge is sitting on 60. All right, boys. We got about 10 minutes before the cherry on top. What, if anything, would be on your minds to discuss here for a few minutes? You know, I kind of want to bring up one thing. Because y'all made fun of me for the, the comment about the Lions not that long ago. And make, now you're, you're starting to we don't make fun What did you bit. say about the Lions? I would have to see the videotape. I don't I said, recall. I said that they were a sneaky favorite for a wild card spot. Okay. And I want to just point this out, too. They already played the Eagles, and they lost 35-38. to 38. Yeah, but it was, I mean, look, it was almost like a repeat of that Baltimore game. They were getting killed until the fourth quarter, right? I don't think so. I thought they I, were. I, I thought they I could double-check. I'll double-check, but I want to just say this. The Lions actually have a chance of beating the Vikings, especially the way that the Vikings <laughs> played against the Eagles. I think the Lions' defensive front is underrated with Aiden Hutchinson being there. Yep. Um, and I know that they, they beat Washington, but I, even, I think Washington's a little bit underrated too. I think both those teams are um, sneaky. Yep. But I, this will be a good test for them. This will either prove me right or prove me wrong. We will have on this program Chris Spielman 
Uh, it seems like every time you turn around, I'm having somebody on this program who I worked with in the broadcast booth. Uh, Brian Billick comes on all the time, Barry Alvarez. Uh, but um, Chris Spielman was my partner for five, six years. Um, and he left the booth to become, in essence, the, the president of football operations. They brought him in there as the right-hand person of the owner, Mrs. Ford. Uh, and he was a guy who was very instrumental in hiring their general manager, hiring Campbell as a head coach. No one is rooting for the Lions more than me. I love Chris Spielman like he's an older brother I never had. Um, all right, Brandon, any comments about anything on your mind? I'm trying to find a cherry on top, which I think we got. I was, I was so locked in listening to Barry talk, I forgot about the uh, cherry on top. But I got it. Don't worry. Okay. I, I, I got to figure it out. I know you're on it. Uh, I, I got to tell you, I can't believe the reaction we got yesterday from the gritty. <laughs> yeah, you had some good. rhythm or something like that. But, yeah, I mean, you don't <laughs> – yeah, <laughs> right, right. I will say this. One, one other thing just based off your monologue here that I wanted to, to touch on yes. as well. I really like Nick Chubb now. I after, do too. After what he said, just trying to protect his teammates. Yep. It, the – the, the first touchdown to get them to 24-30 is unacceptable from the Browns. And then they let Joe Flacco just do his thing. And yeah. Good on him to, to make that call and to say, like, you know, he should have thought of that and been a better player. Um, but you go get that touchdown, dude. You boost no up your fantasy doubt. stock. Like, who? it should have been over. I, it should have been over. As someone who's been a suffering Cincinnati sports fan for 30 years, seeing the Browns do that, and I was sitting at a Browns bar. It was so Cleveland or so Browns. Mm -hmm. But I still felt bad a little bit because I've been through so many games as a Cincinnati sports fan. But I just – until you see it like we did last year where the Bengals went to the Super Bowl and won those crazy games like Tennessee, like Kansas City, and were this close to winning the Super Bowl, you, you just feel like it's never going to turn. And I think that's how Browns fans feel when they watch a game like that. <laughs> where they're up, what, 13 with <laughs> yep. 90 seconds to go, blown coverage on the long touchdown, onside kick, and then Flacco just slices and dices to the end zone. It was comical and sad at the same time. Um, Nick Chubb, I, I never had a chance because we, we rarely did teams in the AFC, only when an NFC team would go play there. I did a couple of Browns games, but he, he wasn't there yet. Um but everything I hear from other people about Nick Chubb is they echo, um, Casey, what you just said. They say this guy, he's that proverbial first guy in the building in the morning, the last guy to leave at night. He doesn't do anything else besides play football. He is all football all the time. Good guy, smart, articulate, passionate, cares, all of those things you want in, in any employee, uh, if you're the owner of the Browns. And, and they say this guy is, is a special guy. And I got to tell you, terrifies me every time the Browns play the Bengals. Absolutely. The way this guy runs against him. When you look back in college, think about this, though, with Georgia, Sonny Michelle and Nick Chubb at the same time yeah. in the same backfield. It's incredible. Well, and, and Alabama's had a bunch of those right. kind of things going on, too, where you wait around until your senior year. In some cases, uh, to ever have a chance 
to play. Uh, it's not a part of our picks. I don't know if you guys want to change this or not and add Thursday night games at all to our running talent. Actually, the game this week has to be because it's division. Yeah, it's a divisional game. Yeah, so we'll we'll make that pick tomorrow. Uh, but okay. we could talk about it. Um, Was it Brownie? Today? Brownie's, Brownie's favored by Steelers. four and a half. Yep. Oh, man, I, I think Browns roll them. Roll them. I roll think. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I might take the Steelers. That's a, this is a tough one. It's so, prime time in Cleveland. Browns will prime them. time what? in Cleveland. Hangover after the collapse against Flacco. It What's, just has a it just has a Browns loss written all over it. I want to know what their last few matchups have been like. Well, How, remember the one I was there that night. I got asked by Fox, um, uh, even though I wasn't doing the game. It was a uh, it was a Monday night or Thursday night game. Uh, the 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 Miles Garrett play where we beat the guy over the head with a helmet. <laughs> yeah, Mason Rudolph. Yeah, yeah. That was a that was a crazy night, and I'm still surprised that he's still in the league after that. Honestly, I, I I'm just maybe I'm I'm a little bit more like biased towards any of our rivalries, but like I can't imagine Vontez just swinging his helmet and hitting Antonio Brown over the head with it, like. Well, he's got a track record, though. I mean, he's like a guy that, I mean, let's face it, and I, we've spoken on, uh, about Perfect on this program in, in, in all of our two and a half weeks on the air. Yeah. When you do it three or four times a year, if he would have done that, you're right, he'd have been suspended more knows how long, two years yeah. maybe. Indefinitely, probably. Yeah, you, but you might be right. I, I, I thought Garrett had somewhat of a history, too, though. I, I could be wrong on that. I. I know he was suspended for that, but wasn't there like another offense that he had that was kind of like not Vontez esque, but he, he like hit someone in the head and was suspended or something? Although I mean, uh, I don't remember. I don't remember either. I could be just making up something, but anyways, I would love to know. Back to the original question, just how close they've had in matchups as of late, because in in recent memory they've been really close mm-hmm. and it's been like that for a while now usually the Steelers play down to the Browns level and I don't know if they can play up that's that's where I think the 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 caveat is well here. look Ben Roethlisberger I can't remember what it was but but his record in his career against the AFC North was just something stupid I mean, there was a time there where, I mean, and, and my numbers are a little jaded because it's been a while since I've had a prep for a game that Brent, Brent Roethlisberger played in. But it was something like, you know, 43 and 18 mm-hmm. or wow. something stupid. The, now, some of those games could have been close. Um, and the Steelers got to the playoffs last year, um, even though, you know, th- that's still shocking in and of itself. But I, the Brownies. Steelers have won the last two. Okay. By how much? Uh, last matchup, Steelers won 26-14. And then first matchup of last year, Steelers won 15-10. to Yeah, ugly. Yep. And ugly. they'll be without TJ. I don't know. I Brownies might, roll, boys. I might, I might Brownie, favor the Browns. Brownie hangover. <laughs> Over the Jets losing? Yeah, oh, that's a... That's a real thing, too. I don't well, know. I mean, the Steelers lost, too. Uh, Cle- the, yeah, Brown- that, that the Browns are the Browns. That's, that's Well, 
There's something to be said for that. Uh, uh, that and Mike Tomlin. I am a huge Mike Tomlin fan. Yep. Um, his players, you know, through the years have played right on that line, and we've seen that, Lord knows, uh, in games against the Bengals, including this year. Uh, some dirty plays, really dirty. You know, of all the ones they talk about for a long time, uh, and, and there have been a ton of them, I got to tell you, the T.J. Watt thing this year with Burrow, yeah, that uh, of all the ones enough. through the years, Kevin Huber, didn't he have his jaw broken? And, yeah. and, and some, I mean, there, there have been some brutal hits, cheap hits by the Steelers uh, against the Bengals for a long, long time. And the Steelers have dominated the Bengals. They're in their head. There's no doubt in my mind about that. Despite last year, they're still in their head. But, but, but that Watt thing this year, I just thought, and I rarely ever use foul language, but I got to tell you, I just thought it was chicken shit. I mean, Burrow had barely turned around. He wouldn't have caught that guy who intercepted the pass if you gave him 10, 10 yards in front of the guy. He wasn't going to catch him. Yeah, I don't think. I, I think TJ's a dirty guy, a dirty player. And he tries to justify it um, just la the last year. The, when they played at uh, Cincinnati, didn't he do the same thing again? Where he he had him in it was an interception, I think, and he had him. He kind of had him locked up like a block and took him to the ground. Yeah, yeah. but this Just, one was was this one was worse. he didn't see it coming um, and went out of his way to just blow up uh, Burrow when he threw the pick. It, it was all right. That's neither here nor there. All right, I, you say we have a cherry on top? We, we do. do. And this could happen at – I don't think this would happen at UDF in Cincinnati, but it could happen. <laughs> it could happen at a UDF. It wouldn't be good, but it could happen. Uh, let, let me see it. I'll be the judge of that. All right, here we go. Our, our UDF cherry on top presented by United Dairy Farmers. <laughs> And this is taking place where? Where a not, bear not walks a clue. in. Well, get what did the get there? Looks like, like some Reese cups or something. Mm. He's got good taste. He does. Eh, just in and out. Where is that? It's a 7-Eleven. I don't know where from, though. Well, it's got to be. You, know, you could probably have a handful of states you could pick that in, right? Yeah, that's. Well, more, a little more than a handful. I'm going to guess the Smokies. Somewhere in the Smoky Mountains. I'm going to guess somewhere in the West. Is there anywhere finding out? I mean, the internet, but I'd okay. have to, like, right. do work. There it comes in. If that happens at UDF, that would be big-time news. Because I don't think we have those running around here. No, no. no. We could have a, I don't know, what would we have? That would, a, a fox maybe come in and... Coyote. Coyote, for sure. Yeah. For sure. They're everywhere. Watch your dogs, small dogs, and, uh, and cats, if you live anywhere near where coyotes are. Um, if they travel in a pack and it's at night, not good. Not good. All right, boys, it's been fun. Uh, tomorrow we bring back uh, Tracy Jones. I know that for sure, right? Yep. Yeah, he has fun on here. Well, he does have fun on here. Um, I was surprised we were back on the air after yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> He's not in Tampa, is he? I don't. Th I think Danae would be highly against his days going back <laughs> to Tampa. All right, for Casey McAllister and Brandon Seho, our executive producer is Trace Fowler. I'm Tom Brenneman, 10 a.m. to noon every day, Monday through Friday, right here.